The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to masks from off the tip in our Kenji chapter. So at the top of the show, we'd like to do is, as always, thank you, the listener, and especially you, the Patreon supporter. Please take a look at what we have to offer on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Old Ways Podcast. You can also help us get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube by stopping over to YouTube and typing in the Old Ways Podcast. Give us a follow or a subscribe as you like and uh, see what we have to offer weekly. And now we'll dip over to introductions to my right. This is Tiffany and I play Maeve O'Shea. And uh, last time I had a conversation with somebody I didn't expect. Unexpected conversations are always the most interesting. To Miss O'Shea's right. This is Morgan. I play Lillian Lane. And we are in the middle of what looks like nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the table. Hi, this is Jake. I'm playing Jack Doyle. And we get to talk to the great Bundari. You hope. Uh, To Jack's right. Uh, This is Lonnie. I play Robert Drummond. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to ride in a Rolls Royce anyways. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse. To Mr. Drummond's right. This is James, and I'll be playing Dr. Sigmund Tartenbach, and my intro would be longer, but um, Lillian used it all. <laughs> Ain't that the goddamn truth? Last, but certainly not least. This is Alex playing Sam Berlant, who is looking forward to introducing the bloody tongue to the practical application of science. You know, I don't think the bloody tongue is real big into science, but I'm certain that we'll get a chance to find out. Put some science big into them, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so we're going to raise the curtain. In a very small village, uh, about an hour or so away from Nairobi, where the investigators have taken a beautiful Rolls Royce, uh, which they did not own, nor did the driver own, uh, to a remote village. And they're going to evidently meet the great Bandari, whoever the great Bandari is. So this young man who was introduced as Okumu, leads you deeper into this village. And as he does so, you begin to angle towards a hut that is very close to what looks like a small pond or perhaps a, a river 
Inlet. Now from the outside, this home has uh, smooth curves, like a Maasai hut. Uh, although it's larger and seems to be constructed in a slightly different fashion to the more conical mud dwellings that the rest of the village have. There's a gated fence that surrounds it, uh, but the door is a simple curtain. It almost looks like a snail's shell to you, Miss O'Shea. The uh, entrance passage seems to wind all the way around the outside of it. Uh, but Okumu doesn't stop or pause. He gets to the gate and unlocks it. A very simple lift of a piece of wood. And then he walks towards this entrance. The curtain, once parted, reveals a dark interior. No windows, no lights. Well, uh, I will follow. Along the way, Jack, you see masks. Little, perhaps traditional fetishes that hang from the ceiling. They're arranged here on both the inner and outer whitewashed walls of the passageway. It comes to a central room. And the, the walls and the ceiling are carved and painted with these intricate symbols and patterns. They're worked into the roof and even into the dirt floor. Across from this interior door is a small, old man. He sits seemingly so still that one might fear he may have already passed on. Mike? How does Doc feel about the energy in this room? Oh, uh, Doctor, the energy in this room is um, vibrant, primal. Uh, it's not energizing in the battery sort of way, hmm. but it's more like walking into a deep pool of water. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Doc calmly, once uh, everyone is in, takes a seat quietly, takes off his shoes too. Looks at Jack, looks at his shoes. Just Doc just shakes his head and smiles. Okumu walks across the space and goes to this older man who's sitting still. He unfolds one of his legs and begins to rub the muscles and then folds it back into the original position. Okumu stands up and turns around towards you. There is a tiny, the tiniest bit of light here in this room. It's uh, a centralized fire pit, which seems to, the smoke from it seems to rise to the top of the, the roof here, where just a tiny bit of it is allowed to exit. I stand there silently waiting. For many years, my master has worked very hard. He has strengthened his body. He is with the other side. He is as conjoined as any one man could be. The other side? Okuma looks to you, Sam. Yes, the spirit world. Of course. He 
walks over and looks at you, Sigmund, very carefully and looks towards your feet, nods. Nod back at him, you know, respectful. You have a man here who has walked in those lands a few times. I do believe I have. Mindari is different. He exists there more than here now. It is my purpose to guard him in this reality. And to protect his, um, (laughs) what would we say? Shell. His body. Doc is absolutely fascinated, but is uh, not going to spoil the moment by the 10,000 questions that are racing across his brain. Please uh, sit, sit. He gestures to the floor. Yeah, right. Take a seat. Yep. Yep. It is clear that you are here for a purpose. We We will determine whether or not that purpose is one Vandari can focus on. Okumu sits near his master and waits. Yeah, Sam will find a uh, a wall to just kind of slink down against it and get comfortable. Okumu takes a small bowl from near the center of the space where he can reach it and he passes it to you, Jack. It's unshelled peanuts. Looks like there's perhaps um, a dish beside it that might be baked plantain. I'll take a few. Pass it along. We will use our words carefully. Words have an immense power. Too many words, and we might draw Bundari back to us too rapidly. I see. And looks at Jack. He doesn't have to tell Maeve, but looks at Jack and Sam. No names. Names have power, too. Hmm. Thank you, Doctor. Over the next ten hours, Okumu shares several things with you. Milk being one of them. He shares peace with you. Quiet. Stillness. And a respect forged over decades of service. He does not ask questions of you. In that same regard, he does not answer questions posed. He waits. After what seems like a lifetime to many of you, the body of this old man stiffens and swells. It seems to almost visually pump itself back into existence. His muscles contract and grow. And there's almost a perceptible taking on of a, I guess a mantle is the best way to put it. It looks like, to you especially, Sigmund, it looks like something inhabits the old man. Like a hermit crab climbing into a shell? Very much so. Bundari's eyes open. And they are not of this world. They are the brightest blue you have ever seen. Not bright as in illumination, but just the shade of his eyes are something 
that is otherworldly. He looks to Okumu and says something to him in a language you can't interpret. It's not Swahili, Sam, so you don't pick up on what he says. Okumu turns to you, Jack, and says, Bundori would like to express his sadness at the loss of your partner. Uh, thank you. It's been a while. More of Bundari's voice begins to reach into the rafters and echo around this space as he speaks with Okumu. Okumu turns to you, Miss Lane, and says, Bundari hopes that your father is recovering. He understands the illness is quite strong. Thank you. I, I hope he is too. After a few more lines again, he turns to you, Okumu turns to you, Robert, and says, you have traveled a great distance to be here without assurances that you would even return. It's true, um, but it's important for me to be here, I think, to help them. My master agrees. It is important that you are here. You hear Bandari's voice get a little bit of a color, almost like a, a excitement in his voice. And uh, Okumu, Okumu's reply to him is short, but, but meaningful. And for the first time, this young man, uh, who was at one point a little bit standoffish, uh, he seems to break that air for a moment. And uh, he looks to you, Sigmund, and he says, uh, Bundari uh, wants to assure you that um, your student is quietly becoming quite good at her own medicine. Doc gets a big grin and a uh, mixture of glee and relief on his face and nods uh, to Bandari, maybe even a little misty-eyed. Mm. Bandari turns to you, Sam, and says in Swahili, I know you understand me. The road you walk is dark. But redemption lies at the end, for Elias's sake. Sam had kind of, over the past like ten hours, assumed kind of a lounging, relaxed, you know, almost almost kind of a, a cat-like nap pose, um, kind of half in and out. But um, I think at that, he would visibly stiffen and um, hide his eyes. I don't. He wouldn't have much to say though. It's clear, too, that Okumu is a little taken aback that Bandari spoke directly to this person. He was not expecting. You can tell, those of you with reasonable amounts of psychology can tell that there was a little surprise at that. Um, and after a few moments, uh, I, I, Sam's back would snap a bit and he would probably begin openly weeping. There's a bit of a back and forth, sort of a final one with Okumu and Bandari. And Okumu turns to you, Maeve, and says, You have risked much to be here. My master is thankful for the wards put up here. The eye cannot see within this space. I'm also thankful. It is rare that we have 
the serpent in our house. Um, yeah, we're a little far from home. Okuma comes over to you, Sam, and, and places a hand on, on your shoulder and tries to give you support and uh, strength. Yeah, take his hand, squeeze the top of it. My master is ready to speak with you. I will do best as his translator. You hear Bandari begin to speak. His voice is vibrant and full. It's nothing like the, what you would expect to come from a man that was sitting in almost a vegetative state, not but a few minutes ago. Your mission is perilous. You hear Okumu's voice cut through the space and time is desperate. Shall we trade pleasant things or the truth? The truth, please. Always the truth. Your bloody tongue grows arrogant. You know this. The people across this land disappear into the mountains stolen by this cult for the blood sacrifice to come. Leaders brought low by corrupt thoughts and deeds. Many of us must pray continually to Nagai, the lord of the Kriya Naga, to stave off this evil. There is a path where this can end. There is a way. And then Okumu stops, sort of, in that moment and turns to you and in English says, if you have questions for Bundari, now is the time. Do you know what we will face on the mountain? The mountain of the Black Wind is called so because of the dread god that inhabits it. Others know it as Mount Satima. Even the greatest of spells cast against the mountain have no effect. We have tried. Once per year, this wind is unleashed. It brings plague, famine, disaster. Okumu seems to look around to the group. How do, how do we get to the mountain? Okumu nods. I can draw you a map. But I would warn you, there, there is a lurking evil along the way, uh, of which there is no protection from. A lurking evil? Long shadows. Darkness that walks without legs. You said that people are disappearing into the mountain for a sacrifice. Yes. To what end? To give the god power. The blood. Our blood. The people of these areas. These robed figures steal people, children. They run them into the hills. And then once a year, when the drums are played and the wind howls, they slit their throats and they spill their blood into these terrible coffers. And plagues are unleashed. Flies which will not leave. Food rots. Who leads them? Through Bandari, Okumu says, we understand they have a woman. Is, is her name? Before Jack gets the whole name out, Sigmund looks at him, shoots him a look and snaps his fingers quietly, like drawing his attention to about to what he's about to do. No names, Jack. Especially not that one. Okumu nods. We are protected against the eye here. This space, he looks up towards the 
ceiling, which is coded, right? Again, in these, all of these sort of strange arcane symbols. Uh, uh, he, Doc relaxes. I'm sorry, Jack. No, continue. No, that's, that's, that's fine. You're right. I forgive an old man for being cautious, yeah. I mean, is it too much to ask how to stop it? Ancient tales speak of a great sign. The eye of light and darkness. We have the light, the eye of light and darkness. We have the uh, formula for the ritual. Vindari begins to cackle, like in laughter. Oh, that's terrifying. It's something to behold for certain. Okumu and him have a, an immediate couple of sentences between them, and Okumu turns around and says, where, where is it? Well, we have to form the actual seal using the, the icons of the region. I thought you said you... We have the formula for the ritual. There is a question we have, though. Says the, uh, it requires the blood of, the, of an innocent. What does that mean? It could mean many things. It depends on how it is written. Are you talking about the slab? Well, Jack's talking about the spell right now. Okay. He has, he has said that they have the eye. No one has given any additional clarity. I look to Maven Jack and I say, is he talking about the slab? I have both halves now, but we have to rebuild it. That's what the ritual is. Yeah, we can't use that one again. You see Bundari's hands that like go up like, as like give... Like, where where is it? Give it to me. Oh. I guess, uh, I, would I still have that in my bag? I don't know. Is that a luck roll? <laughs> uh, I think it's a luck roll, sure. Because, like, I don't, I don't know if I would have put it in my trunk or if I still have it on me. That is a 41 out of 86. It's hard. Okay, fair enough. We'll say that you have, um, you have it on you. Okay, I'll I'll reach. Have it in one. Yeah, I'll I'll reach in my bag and rummage around and move slander out of the way and pull the pieces out. You put the pieces out very slowly, very carefully. Akumu takes them very gingerly and sort of sets them in front of Bundari. He rests his hands left and right on the pieces, and he seems to bring them in closer so that he can put his palms on them. It's this. It's at this point you realize that Bundari's hands are are covered in tattoos, from his fingertips all the way, like underneath his robe, and he seems to hold them for just a moment, and then his eyes flitter back open. This priestess, Okumu translates for him. She is the one who lives in the mountain. It was she who prophesied the coming of the god's child, part human, part monster. That child will soak this land in blood, but there is a way. If their workings can be disruptive, if this ritual can be stopped, we can seal the entranceway. We can shut the door. We can keep the stairway from being used. We can close the black wind off from this earth that's exactly what we want to do. Yeah, that sounds like a really good plan. Well, if you would, stay here this evening. Rest with us. Perhaps Pandari's wisdom can be utilized by the time you wake. 
we will gladly stay. Okumu gets up and begins getting out basic bedrolls for you to stay within the space here. For those of you who are a little bit more occultic in nature, I would offer you an occult roll on some of the symbols that are in this space, given the fact that you'll have time to study them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a 66 out of 92. I got a 38 under 45. And I got a 34 under 45. Go ahead, Lillian. Got a 29 out of 33. Okay. A lot of the symbols that are here uh, on the inside of the hut are warding symbols. So that's definitely one of the things that you make out, those of you who um, made your occult role. Some of these warding symbols you've seen in books, and they appear to be fairly powerful. So for those of you with Cthulhu Mythos, you may also roll. Ooh, ooh. That is a 41 out of 45. Okay. Miss Lane? It's an 86 out of 13. Uh, yeah, I got a 6 out of 13. 6 out of 13? That's really good. So, Miss O'Shea, I'll start with you first as far as the uh, Cthulhu Mythos rolls goes. You have the highest score here. Uh, so you would discern that a lot of these symbols, while mundane are backed up by what we just call true magic in this room. There are an awful lot of protective magics that are connected to outer gods here. Oh, like several gods? Uh-huh. Nice. And there's an awful lot of what one might call uh, earth-based magic here. And um, you feel pretty safe in this house. I'll just put it that way. Nice. Like there are real wards here. So no, nobody's probably getting in without, you know, being turned to, to dust or set on fire or something like that. This will probably be the most peaceful sleep ever. <laughs> uh, Sigmund, you're sort of focusing your intent, trying to seek Bindari's guidance in that extra sensory perception sort of way. Mm-hmm. And he's easily, he's easy to contact in this space. And he just tells you basically that you're, as someone who has walked the spirit world, your abilities are should solely be used to protect your friends from the things that would try to rend at them in that space. All right, Doc takes that. Uh, um, I mean, this, this man is the font of wisdom as far as Doc is concerned. And uh, while he has him on the line, so to speak, he asks if he could just show him a few things to to maybe better facilitate the protection. But he, he doesn't want, you know, full tilt boogie or anything, just, just a few simple, if he can, because this man has forgotten shit that Doc won't even think of, so. That, that's probably very true. Another 10 or so hours pass. Most of it the group uses to get rest after a very long day and somewhat of an intense day too everything here even though it looks to the outside eye as a another hut that might have some stylish sort of way to get into it every single groove that has been placed every 
incantation likely spoken in here, all of the masks, all of the charms, the fetishes, etc., all serve a specific purpose. It's like being inside of a spider's web in sort of a way. Um, being inside a lattice work, spider's web is probably a bad word for it, but, but like a lattice work, right? So there are layers of protection here. Yeah, then I guess those are the types of things that Sam would be making a note of then. Um, less less the incantation piece, but more kind of the the, the theory behind it and more the the structure, like the kind of overarching thing that this, this place represents. It represents a place of spiritual peace, one which is protected aggressively. We'll just put it that way. Like aggressive protection. It's kind of my vibe. Yeah. And there are, um, you know, there are feline symbols here as well. Um, there are all sorts of animal symbols in many different ways, many different animals. There is the lack of a couple of animals, though, that you would catch on with, too. Um, those of you who are more into the natural world would see that there are no alligators here. There's a big surprise. In the morning, you are all summarily fed. You get some of the freshest food you have had in a real long time. It is simple and very basic food. Basic proteins like milk. There are eggs, um, but not in the sort of traditional sense that you would get them. Um, there's no meat, but um, you do eventually get you get full by what what Okumu offers. It's a lot of nuts and again plantains and that sort of thing. In the morning, if we're just kind of milling about and getting things ready, I will actually uh, offer to give the car a once over. Um, if Okumu would like. Um, Okumu just basically tells you, and he says to you in Swahili, until Bundari is back with us, you should not leave this place. I understand. Is there anything we can do to, to help? It's probably about eight o'clock or so in the morning that Bundari comes back to this plane, very much in the same way as he did before. He gathers the group around, and you see his old sort of wizened form and face seem a little brighter. If you know the incantation to reseal this, there may be a way to do so, but it will come at great cost. This is a lesson you have already learned. That's true. I do believe a working of this ritual could be done to seek investment from those whom may be willing to give up of themselves. Okay. Many followers of this dark god are willing to sacrifice themselves. Yes. We believe that this is the best path for them. Okay. And so while I may not be able to offer you much in additional assistance... I do have a small gift for you. He gives you a fly whisk. Okay. Uh. So it's a, an ebony handle, right? Uh, and you see it carved with symbols. And he hands it over to you, Jack. And he Wait. says, uh, 
this will give you a defense against evil spirits. Nice. That'll help. The flies. He was talking about the flies, right? The bugs. That's funny. Yes. Those of you with a cult who watch this process go on can roll a cult, seeing the symbols that are carved into it. 45 out of 92. No, I fail. 71 out of 33. Okay. Failure. Also failure. Okay. Uh, 79 over 38. So failure. Okay. So, Miss O'Shea, there are a couple of things that you get out of the symbols that are on this thing. One of them is this is a focusing tool for the human will. That's its purpose. It's made to make someone stronger against mystical effects. It's sort of like a ward Hmm. when carried. Right. Pandari says through Okumu, this whisk can be used to find evil which tries to hide from a man's eye. Hidden entrances, secret places, warded by evil magics. He sort of snaps the whisk back and forth. Whisk them away. But Bandari sticks out a finger and sort of taps your chest, Jack. And Okumu says, you must believe it can work. We'll believe it works. Sigmund, Bandari turns to you and hands you a very small wooden cage. He nods to Bandari, knowing that he doesn't share a language, but a deep, deep nod of respect. Bandari smiles and hands you the cage. He says through Okumu, this, this is your newest friend. When the time is right, this lizard will guide the path. But be careful. It can be very excitable. Doc smiles again, basically taps the old man's hand and thanks. And says, well, all of the best things in life are. So this reptile is um, sort of warty. It's a gray brown lizard. It's got three horns mm-hmm. stick forward from its forehead. There are a couple of features, though, Sigmund, that, that make you feel like this is not the ordinary average lizard. Mm. First, um, the mouth it has is on a vertical axis rather than a horizontal one. Okay. It's a little odd, but... <laughs> Ew. Uh, the second is that each of the forelimbs divides into two at the elbow joint. Interesting. Hello, little guy. I have to think of a good name for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hmm? <laughs> you hear Okumu reach up, reach to you. Uh, no, 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 no. This, this is who is not what she seems. Oh, she already has a name. Yes, uh, Bundari found her in a faraway place. Call her Who for short. Who? <laughs> I'm wonderful. Uh, who? Uh, I am Dr. Sigmund Tattenbach, and I am at your service. He bows to the little cage while holding it up, uh, not in any sarcastic way. You, you feed her well and daily with flies. You need but open her cage and free her for her to be of service to you. 
But remember, you do not let her out until you reach the mountain. I will not. And thank you. So this thing has six legs. Yeah, it does. And a vertical mouth. Uh huh. Mindari pats you on the shoulder, Sigmund. And it feels like sort of this grandfatherly, be very careful with that, son. Uh, yeah, he uh, Doc uh, nods enthusiastically, only taking his eyes off of the lizard long enough to, again, look at Bendari and nod his head in thanks. Now, I believe there is little else I can offer you. Again, Akumu is continuing his translation of Bendari. I would recommend, if you need a guide, to seek out in Swahili town. There is a man, his name is... Magia, he can guide you to the mountain. What about the sealing ritual? Is that after we disrupt their ritual? Bandari hands you back the stone pieces. You have the incantation? Okumu asks you. I do. If you wish to seal this land from that evil, you will need to make a choice. You will need to decide what you are willing to sacrifice. The problem is it asks for innocent blood. And none of us here are innocent. You, you see a very um, determined and almost grim look come over Okumu. And he says, this cult has been kidnapping many people from neighboring villages and from Nairobi for the past month with little effort from the colonials who are here to attempt to find our children. I cannot think of a world they would want to live in which this wind continued to blow. There must be a there must be a strength of purpose which few on this earth have. I see. If you have the means to close the gate, close it. Okuma walks you out of Bandari's home. Bandari touches each one of you before leaving right on the right forearm and gives each one of your right forearms a real good grip. Um, his The press of his fingertips is not by any means with the uh, some sort of muscle man's strength. You can feel the intent in his grip. And he leaves behind fingertip markings in this strange blue paint. And afterwards, you stand outside the hut in front of the Rolls Royce and the tall man. All right. Let's go back to Nairobi. Yeah. The journey back takes about an hour. The Rolls is um, not the greatest of off-road vehicle, but it does get you back. You arrive at Hampton House Hotel, and it's probably about noon. Sam's pretty quiet on the journey, um, probably just occasionally thumbing the, the fingerprints that were left, and then uh, eventually kind of binding his forearm to, to cover it up to protect them. He doesn't know if it's paint, if it's going to rub off, or if they're markings, or what have you, but... He treats them as precious. Okay. 
your way back into the hotel, um, it's not lost on the investigators that there are more people seemingly in the downtown space here in Nairobi. Foot traffic has definitely picked up. wonder what the uh, occasion is. There's a shopkeeper we have to deal with, and shops, shops do business. They certainly do. I will just say that it's not Sunday. Okay. <laughs> which is a day the shop would be closed. All right. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't know that. That's okay. Cool. Now we know something. Now we know something. Where does she go after after she closes the shop? Do we know? So I only stuck around until just before noon because I had to get back for our trip. Um, but there's nothing stopping me or any of us from resuming the post. I would just say the cult seems to be frequent visitors as well. So um, even though the vantage point I had seemed relatively convenient, um, getting into the area without them spotting us, as in collectively, would prove to be a challenge. So I think we should decide how we want to handle this and what we want to do with this tea shop owner. Yeah, we need to come up with a plan. Yeah, I think, I mean, whatever we decide to do, the best course of action is to make her not a threat with all the other threats. Well, I, I think the shop would probably be the worst place to handle a confrontation. Oh, probably. Maybe it's time for a little payback in kind. No matter what we do, um, she's probably going to have some of the same defenses that the other ones we've dealt with have. Yeah. If not more. That's why Robert has a uh, a fire extinguisher. I have an extra one here. Okay. So what's the plan? I honestly, I would, I would love to just burn that shop to the ground. With her in it? I mean, we could. No, no. I want her to find it reduced to ash. Yeah, we can play with fire too. I'm a quiet, peace-loving individual myself. I'd rather just find where she's at and then take her from there and do what we need to. Well, Sam did a little recon on the place, right? So he would know. She arrives in the morning. Yeah, she arrives in the morning. Which means that she leaves at night at some point. Yeah, so it'd be best to find out when she leaves and then follow her home. Yeah, but I would think that her home would be even more warded. Well, you know, the streets of Nairobi are a dangerous place for an ambush. It's true. We're just kind of a little visible. You don't have to be. Disguises are easy to come by. Yeah, let's uh, let's try to craft a plan, come up with some ideas. Uh, can I talk to you real quick, Sam? Sure. Yeah, we'll step off to the side. You know, it'll be you or I that has to do what has to be done. You're talking about the sacrifice? Yeah. I was giving that some thought, and we know that there are going to be prisoners there. We know that there are going to be innocents there. We know that there are going to be innocents there that have seen what has transpired. I think offering them the choice, knowing that they could help put a stop to this, is more than these cultists would ever offer them. I'm not going to take from them what they might give willingly, unless I absolutely have to. Then we'll, uh, we'll cross that when it comes to it. I, I, I would just, I would give them the opportunity to hear us out, or at least hear one of us out. Because we're going to have to get away from that mountain with as many of them as we can anyway. Yeah. But I understand. 
and I, it's regrettable, but I, I, I understand. I'm just not going to force you to make a decision you don't want to make. I don't want to do any of this, but here's where we are. What I do want to do is burn that tea place to the ground. <laughs> and we can do that anytime tonight. If we want to spend one night finding out when she leaves, that should give us what we need to know for the following day. So if uh, assuming that she doesn't burn the hotel down in the meantime, I'm sure she knows where we are. Yeah. Do we have time? Yeah, I think we have time. I don't want to leave her behind us. No, we should take then we should take the day and find out what her schedule is. Um, it might be worth getting into that shop while she's gone as well. It could be. We'll work on that. Okay. Well then I guess um I'll get my stuff ready for another another night out. Fantastic. And uh if no objections, I think that is where we'll call the episode to a close. Hot on the heels of a specific tea shop. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Masks of Yothtep. We greatly appreciate your listening ears. Thanks and good night.